I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, You've honored us with your presence, and uh, we hope that we can be an encouragement to you just as you have been to us. A young preacher moves into a country area, and he's excited about evangelism, so he hits the roads, and he looks over as he's driving, and he sees an old farmer working on a piece of equipment out in the field, and he sees that man as a prospect. So he stops his vehicle, and he walks across the field, and he offers that farmer the question. He said, Hey, sir, are you working in the Lord's vineyard today? The farmer laughed. He said, No, son, this is soybeans. He said, No, no, you don't understand. I'm asking you, are you a Christian? He said, oh, no, no, you must be new around here. The Christians live about a mile down the road. I'm a Jones. And he said, no, no, what I'm I'm wondering, are you lost? And he said, son, I've lived here all my life. I know this place like the back of my hand. I'm not lost. So finally, the preacher thought he'd cut right to the, the core of the matter. And he says, listen, I just want to know, are you ready for the resurrection? I got the old farmer's attention. He said, when's it going to be? The preacher said, well, I don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be the next day. The preacher lowered his voice. He said, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go all three days. Now, even though there's a little bit of humor to that, any of us that have tried to share the gospel with others, we recognize the reality of that conversation. It's not always easy to share the gospel with other people. It's not always easy to bring people out of a lost and dying world and into a right and a saved relationship with God Almighty. And so it is, I believe, that one of the things that has to exist in the life of an individual if they are going to be serious about evangelism is that they have to have an attitude of evangelism. If they're going to be strong for the cause of Jesus Christ, their heart has to be embedded with a desire to share that gospel with other people. This morning, I want to ask you not only to listen and to study with me from the Scriptures an important lesson, but I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to change your heart? Maybe it's to renew your heart. Maybe it's to change your heart completely. Maybe it's just to say, this is where I am today and it's all right, but I need to grow stronger tomorrow. You know, when we think about reaching the lost, we're thinking about changing the population, not of an audience or an auditorium. We're thinking about changing the population of heaven. And when we think about evangelism, I want you and I to think about the fact we're talking about the difference where someone spends an eternity. I don't know about you, but I love to study success stories. I love to listen to individuals that have done well and then let them say what they thought worked for them. Let them tell what was the attitude they had, what was the work structure they had, and etc. 
When we talk about evangelism, one of the best success stories that we could have is that of the Apostle Paul. And the text that was so capably read for us already this morning reminds us of what Paul's attitude was toward evangelism. If you have your Bible open, we're still there in Romans, the first chapter. And notice again what he said in verse 14. The version that Tony read said that he was under obligation. The New King James says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and etc. Now think about this for just a moment. We could ask Paul, Paul, why and how were you so successful as a missionary? Now keep in mind, when we talk about missionary, we're talking about moving people to a saved condition so that they can spend an eternity with God. Paul, how did you change people's lives in that way? How could you let them meet the Savior? And how did you encourage them? How did you move them? And instead of talking about the people, he begins talking about himself, not in an arrogant way. Instead, it's just the opposite. Paul says, let me tell you how I did it. He said, I always looked at myself as a debtor. In the original language, that's a very strong word, debtor. Let me give you an example of how the word can have different measures of of conviction. Right now, if you were to ask me, David, do you owe money on your house? The answer to that would be yes and no. Yes, I have borrowed money, so therefore I have a mortgage. So in that sense, I owe money on my house. But no, I don't owe anything today because I've paid this month's payment. You see the difference? I don't owe today. Now when it becomes due again, I'll owe again, but right now I don't owe. Which word is this when Paul says, I am a debtor? He's using the word that's delinquent. He's using the word to point to say that this is my life all the time. At all times, I am in debt to other people to tell them about Jesus Christ. Paul never viewed a time in his life as a Christian that said, I'm not responsible for my brother. You remember Cain's answer, am I my brother's keeper? Paul would answer, absolutely yes. Not only am I my brother's keeper, but I feel the weight of responsibility of that day in and day out. Now, in just one month from today, we'll have one of probably the biggest days in this congregation this year, and it'll be Friends Day. It's an exciting time. It's a wonderful time to see so many people visit and learn sometime for the first time who we are here at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And it is what it is, and we need to make it the biggest and the best that it can be. But you know, one of the great things about that day is oftentimes it encourages you and I to rekindle the fire of what we ought to be doing year-round. I wonder how many of us, a month after a friend's day, have invited more people just because that spark of motivation was there. I want to encourage you this month, be active inviting people to come to Friends Day. But then when February and March and April and May rolls around, let's continue that that eagerness to invite people to learn of Jesus Christ. But let's notice something else on this same slide. Not only did he have that debt, but when he spoke about that debt, we could think for just a moment, now wait a minute, why did Paul owe that to anyone else? If you want, back up to Acts the ninth chapter with me. Turn back to Acts the ninth chapter. He owed it first to the Lord. You remember in Acts 9, he was on his way to Damascus. He was going to persecute Christians. 
And the voice breaks out in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul responds to that. And then finally in verse 6, notice what he says. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he did, and he went into Damascus, and he waited until Ananias arrived. And here we read in verse 18 that he was baptized. Paul tells this same story again, the 22nd chapter, verse 16, and there it tells us more of what Ananias said. He came to him and he said, Why are you waiting? Why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But notice what Paul did immediately. Verse 20, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So you see this indebtedness here. Paul, why do you feel a debt to teach other people? And he says, look what the Lord has done for me. Friends, I believe that one of the tremendous heavyweight factors based upon whether or not someone intends on sharing the gospel with someone else, now listen to this, goes back to whether or not the person really believes they were lost and now they believe they are saved, and the only way they are saved is because of a Savior. Have you ever seen someone that, quote, grew up in the church? They've convinced themselves they've always been a good person, they've never been lost, and you know what else you'll find out? Let's be blunt for just a moment. When you find someone that, quote, grew up in the church and they don't think they've ever been lost, they don't care a thing about evangelism. Why? They don't appreciate a Savior. In their minds, they're too good for a Savior. Oh, sure, Jesus Christ is a Savior, but He didn't have to do much to save me. I mean, after all, I've never really gone out and sinned very much. I want to tell you something. You imagine in your mind the most vile criminal that's, that has committed the most hideous acts that you could ever imagine. Picture in your mind Hitler or whoever else you want to. You approach Jesus on the day of judgment without Him as your Savior and you'll be in the same place that He'll be because it's sin that separates us from God. It's sin, not big sin and little sin. It's sin that separates us from God. There's not a person here that's good enough on their own to meet Jesus on the day of judgment without Him as our Savior. There's not a person here that has enough reputation or enough money or enough good merited acts. The only way any of us will stand on the day of judgment and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is because we have Jesus as our Savior. And when I recognize the fact that Jesus has made the difference in where I'll spend in eternity, I'll be excited to go out and tell other people, look at the good things Jesus has done for me. You see, if we really believe that it's real good news, we tend to tell other people, don't we? How many times has someone come up to you and they've got the biggest, best news in the world and they tell you that news and in your mind it's just flooding with all the people you're going to tell this good news to and then they say, shh, can't tell anybody. Oh, nobody? Nobody. Not even? Not even. How long? Until I tell you. How many of you have thought lately, Oh, I can't wait to tell so-and-so about Jesus. I can't wait to invite so-and-so to Friends Day. Isn't it wonderful that when we receive good news, if we really believe that it's good news, 
We can't wait to share it. Now, another thing that made Paul recognize or allows us to know, and if you will be turning to 1 Timothy, the second chapter. 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, the first chapter. 1 Timothy, the first chapter. Be turning there. Another thing that lets us know about his heart is not only did he view the fact that he was saved was a gift from God and, and he wanted to share that with others, but he even viewed the ministry itself as a gift from God. In 1 Timothy, the first chapter, look what he says as we read verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Now, did you notice there? He's giving words of appreciation. In other words, he's saying, I thank you, Jesus. What's he thanking the Lord for? Who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, and that meant highly arrogant, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, that's what saves us, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith, that's our part, and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul, where were you? Of whom I am chief. Did he think he was lost? Absolutely. Was he glad he was found? Absolutely. But where does he fall into his place in serving the Lord? He says, not only am I thankful that the Lord saved me, but know this, he begins that verse by saying, I'm thankful the Lord allowed me to be in ministry. The word ministry means service. He says, I'm thankful that God allows me to serve. Friends, you and I, and I realize how easy this is to do, so I'm not saying... Shame on you in the sense that it's unheard of. I'm saying, let's look at our human nature for just a moment. Our human nature lends us to be baptized into Christ and we're excited about that good news and when we go out and do something good, it's almost as if we say, hmm, boy, everybody ought to be proud of me. I'm sure God's proud of me and wow, I'm sure God's just looking down and saying, I'm so blessed to have him or her in the kingdom. I'm sure God is happy we're in the kingdom. The prodigal son, the father's there waiting. But isn't it interesting that Paul here said, when I go out and I work for the Lord, I'm just thankful that God allowed me to be a part of the ministry. Do you hear the humility there? I'm just thankful that God allows me to be an apostle, Paul says. I'm just thankful that God allows me to go out and carry on the missionary works. I'm just thankful He allows me to go and spread the gospel. Friends, we asked Paul, Paul, how did you accomplish all that you accomplished? Number one this morning, he says, I'm a debtor. Why are you in debt, Paul? He says, look what the Lord has done. He saved my soul. Number two, look what the Lord has done. He's given me a ministry. Number three, he could also say, look what others have done. And for time's sake... Let me just mention quickly, you could go back to Acts 9 and you could see what others have done. It would be things like this. When he went to Damascus and waited, who was it that came? Remember, it was Ananias. Now, it's, there's some humor in that story. As a matter of fact, let me just mention to you what Ananias says here. God tells Ananias to go. Now, now listen to the dignity. Have you ever had to approach someone that was over you? And it was something you absolutely didn't want to do, but you tried to make it sound real third-party-like, third-person-like. Now, you, we all know who Saul was. 
He was persecuting Christians left and right. He was putting them in prison. He was voting for them to be put to death. And now God comes and says, Ananias, uh, that gentleman Saul is waiting for you in Damascus. I want you to go talk to him. Now listen to what Ananias says. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. You know what he's thinking. Lord, what is he going to do to me? But he doesn't say that. Now listen, he keeps on and he says, this is still Ananias. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Lord, what's happening here? And the Lord tells him to go. This is his will. Tell him the ministry he's to be about. Do you think Saul looked back in his life and thought, wow, you have to love a guy like Ananias. Who else would have been bold enough to come to him? I mean, that's all anybody knew was that he was a persecutor. I'm sure that when Paul looked back in his life of people that he could be thankful for, one of them would be Ananias. We read on further the same, Acts the ninth chapter, and we see that when he came back into Jerusalem, you know what all the Christians did. They scattered because the great persecutor is back into town. And Barnabas was the one that stood between Paul and said, Paul, come here. Church at Jerusalem, come here. Let me tell you the great news. He's one of us now. He's a brother in Christ. Paul could list in his mind the people that had made a difference in his life. We owe a debt to mankind because there have been people that have made a difference in our life so that we could meet God. I know we have done this exercise together, but I ask you to do it with me again. I think it's so important. In your mind, take out a blank sheet of paper. In your mind, I want you to list five people that have been great encouragements to you in your faith, and in your salvation. Who would be those five people? Here's someone that taught me the gospel. Here's someone that baptized me into Christ. Here's someone that when I was young Christian, they helped me to grow. Here's somebody that when I was discouraged in life, they came and, and they helped me renew my commitment to the Lord. Who would be on your five? Five people that have made a difference in your life spiritually. Who would they be? Now that you have those five listed on your paper, I want you to see that list in your mind and I want you to think about this. You're indebted. It's delinquent. You owe it right now. Someone has done something for you so that you could grow closer to Jesus. You and I need to go out and we need to do things for others so that they can grow closer to Jesus. Now let's finish this little exercise. Let's pretend that everybody in this auditorium right here has made out their list of five. How many other people have your name on their list? And what about all the people that's ever lived? And what about if everybody that was alive today filled it out? And what if everybody that's going to live in the future filled out that same list? Here are people that tried to teach me the gospel. Here's people that tried to encourage me to live for the Lord. Here's people that made a lasting difference in my life for God. Will your name be on their list? Paul is saying, I'm a debtor. I owe it to mankind to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Not only did he say he was a debtor, but when we go back to our text in Romans, the first chapter, and we look at verse 15, 
He also said, I'm ready. I'm eager. Now, you know, the word ready really has at least two different meanings. And from the Greek, it's two different words, but we translate it with one word. For example, do you remember in Acts, the 21st chapter, Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem and everybody he ran into said, you're going to die. Remember the prophets would come up and say, you're going to die. And finally, one time, Paul just told them, he says, I am ready to be bound or to die. See that word, I'm ready? That's the Greek word that doesn't mean eager. That's the word that means I'm prepared. In other words, Paul wasn't saying, oh boy, let's go to Jerusalem and die. No. He was saying, I'm ready. If that's the will of God for me to carry out this ministry, and if it's God's will for that ministry to end in Jerusalem, I'm ready to fulfill my ministry and be with my God. Preparedness. Now, in the previous point, when we talked about the fact that Paul said, I had a debt, that's the readiness that Paul had when he says, I have a debt. I'm ready to pay that debt. On the next slide, back up one slide, or two slides, how about? Okay, on that slide right there, notice the debt that Paul has, and notice the way he prepares himself for this debt. I just want you to think about this, and we don't have time to develop it heavily, but so many people that are, that are Christians, they're children of God, they say, I feel that debt of responsibility and I want to do something about it. Well, friends, you and I can feel a debt of responsibility to pay a $500 bill, but you know what we have to have to be able to pay a debt of $500? $500, right? How oftentimes do we get excited about paying the debt, but we don't do anything to pull the resources so that we can pay that debt? Paul says, I'm in debt. And then Paul went out and made himself ready to fulfill the payment of that debt. For example, when Paul was converted, and you see here that that was somewhere around 35, between 35 and 36 A.D. probably is our assumption there. But notice the first missionary journey all the way down here between uh, 46, 47, or 48. Do you see the point? In our Bible, that's just a few pages. We flip from Acts the 9th chapter to Acts the 13th chapter, and we say, wow. Paul turned himself around and he got busy being a missionary. You know what else Paul did? He spent 12 years preparing himself to do mission work. I'm not suggesting to you that he didn't preach a sermon before then. I think he preached a sermon immediately. But I think it's an important point to note that he spent almost a dozen years preparing himself for that ministry before God laid it out there. We can be real excited about going on stateside. I want to tell you a mistake. There are places for everybody to learn on stateside. Places for somebody that's just become a Christian. But if somebody has an attitude that says, I'm excited about evangelism, I'm so excited, I want the first Bible study. No. Not unless you've spent the hours preparing yourself to teach that Bible study. And we don't have a slide for this, but I want you to just think in your mind. Many of you will be able to recall this. Do you remember in John, the first chapter, Andrew, and it was also John that followed Jesus home? And remember they learned about him, and Andrew was so excited that he turned around and he ran to who? Remember his brother Peter? He ran to Peter and said, we've met him, the Messiah. And so he took his brother back to meet the Messiah, and Peter was, was converted to Jesus Christ also. And that's John 1. 
Then we flip back in our Bible to Matthew, the fourth chapter, and we see Peter and Andrew mending the nets with their father. Jesus comes along and says, Will you follow me? He wanted them to leave the fishing nets behind and start fishing for men. They left their nets behind and they followed. Now that's kind of confusing. Which time was the time that they were converted? Some people read those two stories and say they, they conflict each other. No, they don't. One time was when they decided to become a Christian. The next time was decided when they would move their level of work to what we would call a full-time level of work. Now, it didn't stop there. Did they go out and start their missionary journey the very first day that they were with Jesus? Did Jesus send them out on their own? No, we have to go almost three more years down the road until we come to Acts, the second chapter, where they stood up and they were working then as trained missionaries. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone with the apostles building the foundation of the church. What's the point? In the Scriptures, we see inspired men take years to train to teach and preach the gospel. How foolish and arrogant we are to think that, oh, I can pay my debt and I don't have to invest any time. I'm just that good. Oh, I don't really have to study very hard. I had learning just like that for me. I'd say if the apostles spent a dozen years, if walking beside Jesus for three years, I'd say most of us here need to think very deeply about investing time in learning the will of God. Now, let's look at a second way to use this readiness. And, and let's go back to that second slide there that says, I am ready. Notice uh, a second way, the readiness was to be prepared. But the way that it's used here in Romans, the first chapter, is he says, I am ready, meaning I'm eager. Now, we have several kids that have been on the ski trip for several years. And I've talked to some of them that they really get excited about the annual ski trip. Now let's just say we go back in time just a few days ago and it's Wednesday night and the ski trip will be leaving on Friday night. You could see some of those kids on Wednesday night and say, hey, you ready to go skiing? And they'd say, oh yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready. Now you could follow them home and I could assure you this, their bags are not packed. They do not have their things together. If you would have said, let's leave right now, they would have said, oh, I'm not that kind of ready. There's two different ways we use the word ready. One means prepared. If we're going to share the gospel with others, we need to prepare ourselves. But there's another way we need to be ready. And that is we need to be eager. We need to say, absolutely, I'm ready, let's go. Paul said, I'm eager to share the gospel with other people. Why is it that we sometimes lose track so often of, of the important things in life? A man was driving his high-dollar Jaguar down a neighborhood street, and finally out of nowhere a brick slams the side of his door, and in anger he slams on the brakes, backs up the car, jumps out, and he sees a little boy, and he runs over, and he slams the boy against the car, and he says, what do you think you're doing? Look what you've done to my car. And the boy has tears streaming down his face. And he says, sir, I couldn't get anybody to stop. Please come over here and help me. My brother's falling out of his wheelchair and he's hurt real bad. And the man just stood there in disbelief. And the boy said, please, come. And the man followed the little running boy. And he, he ran over there and he did see the brother there. He helped him get into his chair. He offered him a linen handkerchief to wipe the blood off of him. He rode the boy back to his house. He got him settled in. 
And he walked back to his car. And he thought to himself, I never want to become so busy in life that people have to throw a brick to ask me to see their needs. I wonder how many neighbors would be throwing bricks at our cars if they just knew the situation they were in with their soul being lost. And I wonder how many of us would have to have a brick hit our car before we would stop and offer them an invitation to come learn of Jesus. I wonder how many of our co-workers would have to throw a brick at us to get us to invite them to come to a place where they can learn of Jesus and worship God Almighty. I wonder how many of our family members would have to throw a brick at us to get our attention to say, focus on something important. I have a soul too. Don't you care where I spend eternity? Over the next month, you and I will go by a lot of brick buildings. Some of us will live in brick homes. We'll come here every Sunday and worship in a brick building. I want to ask you something. Every time you see a brick over the next month, will you think of your responsibility to slow down and to say, I want to focus on the things that matter the most? You've got to say hats off to Paul. He said souls are what matter the most, and I'm eager. I am ready to share the gospel. Paul, how do you do it? He said, I'm in debt. I owe the Lord. I owe everybody. And I'm willing to prepare myself. And he also said, and I'm eager. I want to be busy in that work. Friends, I think you and I can make a difference in this community. I believe with all of my heart that there is someone out in their bedroom and in their living room and in their kitchen right now that by the end of the year they will be your brother or your sister in Christ sitting right here in worship on Sunday morning. I believe that with all my heart. Our responsibility is to be just like our Lord. He says, I've come to this earth to seek and to save the lost. We can't save them, but we can show them a Savior, but we definitely can seek them, and that's our responsibility. This morning, who will you begin praying for daily? Who will you invite? Who will you write a note of encouragement to come? Who will you continue to pray for all year long? Now, the place that we need to begin is we need to begin thinking about our own soul. As we close this morning, I want to read you a quote from a preacher of old. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved. Be sure of that. You see, if our life is right with God, one thing will definitely be, is we'll be wishing others would be saved also. So let's begin with that this morning. Is your life right with God? That's the best way to build someone that is evangelistic. They have a Savior and they want to tell others about Him. If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, good news this morning. The brick has hit your door. You have your attention now on the most important things, your soul and the souls of others. And let's begin with ourselves this morning. If you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins, confess before God and before man that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, won't you be baptized this morning?
Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and you have begun that journey with the Lord and somewhere along the way you've lost focus, you've lost vision, you've lost faithfulness, you just don't have the commitment that you ought to have. The good news is the Father has His arms open and He's waiting for us to come home. The decision's ours and the rejoicing will be all the heavenly host and everyone here and even yourself. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.